Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is actually the best pros advice I think I've read or seen online. Here's why your pros sucks, okay? I could use this advice. Everybody and welcome back to another Tudor Ramble episode. I am one of your hosts, Austin. And I'm Richard. And guess what we're doing today, Rich? Well, I mean, I do know, but how about you tell the audience? How about I tell the audience? Yeah. We are looking over the top nine best advice from best-selling authors on how to write a beautiful, perfect story. Now, I'm going to ask the question yep, that yep. people listening and watching at home are saying. Of course. Why didn't you go the extra mile and do a little bit more research to get 10? Well, Why is it not? Let me tell you two reasons, Richard. One, mm-hmm. I'm generally a lackluster human being. But the second reason fair, beyond that, yeah, that that's the one you're going to agree with, right? Yeah, completely. The second reason being, I'm not here to give you audience, and you, Rich, you've heard all these things. Simple advice like show, don't tell. We've all heard that. We've heard the advice like there's the, pl- there's the plotters and there's the pantsers. That typical writing advice. I tried. My, I looked for advice that was rare. Someone might not have heard of this before. And hopefully this is nine pieces of advice that you don't just hear every day. Okay. And it's really specific. And I broke it down like this. I'm excited about this because I, mm-hmm. I think I constructed this in a way where of the nine advice, the first three are general writing advice. Then two, go, two of the advice go into plot advice, two go into prose, and two go into characters. So we hit all different angles how do you feel about that? I'm a bit more excited about that. It okay. sounds like it'll be more interesting rather than something everyone's kind of heard before. That That's what I'm going for. And I'm sure you'll have your Richard advice could be the 10th advice as well. That's what I figured. Uh, that's always there. Yeah. I mean, whether you like it or not, Richard gives its advice. Okay. Now, you want to get right into the first advice? Right before we get into it. Yes. If you're interested in supporting us, go ahead and click the link down below for our Patreon down below. We appreciate it a lot. You get to join our exclusive Discord channel where we have monthly book clubs with us and also community-led book clubs. If you want to want people to talk to about your favorite books, join us. It supports us. It's great. We also have fun. some writers in there. So hopefully we do. Th- this advice for any writers out there, or I think this could be good for readers to see mm-hmm. what makes a good story. And I just want to get off to the first piece of advice. All right. And I will warn you beforehand, mm-hmm. several of these are from Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I kind of expected that. Yeah. <laughs> As we go throughout, the different advice that I'm going through will be four or so of them have clips that we'll watch and we'll show you guys at home and we'll go from there. Okay. So first piece of advice, and I want the Richard take on whether you agree with this or not. Oh, of okay. Course. First piece of advice is stop writing when you're feeling the momentum. Now, 
This is from yeah. Ernest Hemingway himself. That a very one I do know. Very qualified individual. You know this part. Yes, so I do. This is what Hemingway said. He said, the most important thing I've learned about writing is never write too much at a time. Never pump yourself dry. Leave a little bit for the next day. The main thing is to know when to stop. Don't wait until you've written yourself out when you're still going good and you've come to an interesting place and you know what's going to happen next. That's the time to stop. Then leave it alone. Don't think about it and let your subconscious mind do the work. So he would sometimes just write three to 600 words a day. He'd be astounded if he wrote 1,000 to 2,000 a day. And even Pierce Brown, I must mention Pierce Brown, doesn't abide by this rule, but he does use it as a touchstone in his writing. And you can go from here. And why do you think that is good advice if you've heard it before? Oh, yeah, I've heard it. It's the exact same story from Ernest Hemingway that I was reading about and how he got over writer's block or at least prevented it yeah. was it's always hard to start like, you know, wake up the next morning and you have to start putting the pen on page again. It's hard to get started. But if you already know where you're starting, you're kind of good to go. So it's like leaving a little bit of a little bit of fuel in the tank yeah. rather than running yourself empty. So he would deliberately stop when he knew what he was going to write next. Like, so he would write even like half the pa- leave a half a paragraph empty, even though he knows what he, he's going to write, leave it unwritten. And then the next day he knows exactly where to start. It gets him started going right into it. I feel like this is advice you and I needed to hear mainly yeah, for life in itself, <laughs> because any, your kind of work mode that you do in your life is let me just look at a Tuesday and say, fuck that Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> that is my work day and I will do nothing else. And you'll forget to yeah. breathe. And then uh, you'll you'll gear yourself until you're dead. I get obsessive sometimes. <laughs> just, just just at times. Yeah, I go. It's all or nothing. I either have the laziest day ever, and I <laughs> can barely feed myself, or it's so productive that I just fall asleep like standing. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe this isn't just writing advice. It's a, this is a life coaching advice. Yeah, probably. I could see that. And it's way easier to be a creature of habit when I think this is even something with working out and going to the gym mm-hmm. is if you work to like every you're doing it until you're working out five, six hours and ungodly, like more than Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then you are going to work yourself out so much that you can't work out for a week and be so I, sore. I You've learned that, that lesson. <laughs> I learned that lesson the hard yeah. way. So I, basically, we, I was just starting to work out and went with Austin and tried to follow his routine and you tried to give me a workout plan and I pushed myself to the limit of what I could do. He did a great and job. And the next day, yeah. my, I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't move my arms above my head. I was just dead and I couldn't actually go to the gym for at least another week. To me, it, you were an actual like labor. It, oh, it, it seemed it, like you were going through it. <laughs> it was it was pain. <laughs> it was agony. I, I think there was... Thankfully, the one benefit is we had to move our friend. Yeah. And I worked out so hard that I couldn't get out of bed. Yep. So you had a proper excuse. Yeah, I was literally like laying down and heard the phone ring of a friend and I barely reached it to like accept the call and put it on speaker. As I'm laying down, I said, hey, are you going to help us? And I said, I can't move. (laughs) No. (laughs) Basically picture a dead goldfish. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what you were. So to prevent that from happening... Mm. You leave yourself something the next day to do. Never finished a completion. 
Ernest Hemingway, that's just life advice, writing advice. Don't work yourself to death. Like obviously get, get it accomplished, but you use your judgment, use your intuition of, okay, if I keep going, I'm not going to be able to write tomorrow or do whatever tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that, I thought that was unique advice because sometimes you just hear, you know, hit this certain word count, hit this certain number, but this, this was more intuitive. Mm-hmm. Ready for advice number two? Yeah, bring it on. We're, we're still in the general advice here. This one, we're going to show a clip from the man himself. Brando Sando, the Mando. Mm-hmm. And this advice is that ideas are cheap. You want to watch this clip? Fair enough. Here we go. Ideas are cheap. Brandon Sanderson, take it away. One, one thing to get over is the idea that, I, that great ideas make a great book. Well, a certain quality of idea is important. However, a great writer can take the most basic ideas and make a brilliant novel out of it. And a terrible writer will take the best ideas in the world and will turn them into something terrible. Okay? Once in a while, there's an idea like, you know, I, always, I usually refer to Jurassic Park as one of those ideas I wish I had. You know, bring back dinosaurs and make a theme park out of them. That is a really great story scene, and some are better than others. But the, the thing to teach you is ideas should be cheap. You shouldn't have to worry about your ideas. You should not coddle your ideas and treat them as sacrosanct. You shouldn't think, I have this one novel I've been working on for so long, and it's the perfect book, and I need to just get it done, and then everything will be great. Instead, you should be thinking, boy, that book that I've been working on for 10 years, that I started, that is my baby, is such a big millstone hung around me. I should cast that aside, start fresh with something new, write it for a few months, and teach myself to write. And then, once I know how to write, then maybe I can do justice to that magnificent idea that I've been working on for 10 years that now is just turning out to be, you know, I've been churning and working on it for so long that I've even forgotten how many drafts I've done. You know, this was in one draft and this other thing was in another draft and I forget that I've taken this out. Uh, It gets to be a big mess. What do you think of that advice? I think there's a couple authors that uh, (laughs) I can think of one in particular. Did you name drop? Uh, Patrick Rothfuss (laughs) needs to pick up on that vice. I'll be honest. He's such a good writer. Like his Patrick Rothfuss, no matter what I think about the characters and plot line that Mm. I didn't like, as a technical skill, he's a very good writer. I would pick up his, like if he came out with some different book, I'd pick it up in a heartbeat. He is coming out with a new book. Uh, I think it's in the same world. Oh, he he just had a live stream the other day. Oh, the, really? Yeah. The other day. Literally the other day. Did he announce that he's going to release the Doors of Stone again? I, I, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> that, I think this advice, the ideas are cheaper, more geared toward that newer writer of yeah. trying to, this perfect idea you think you have, but you're not a good writer yet. So idea, think of your favorite series and your favorite books. Wheel of Time, mm-hmm. for one. Red Rising, You don't. it's not your favorite, but think of any book up here the idea itself, it's kind of just combining two or three other things that are really cool. Yeah. And then just going with it. Oh, yeah. Execution is far more important than the initial idea. And I think this kind of rolls into the, I think, common advice you hear is don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Mm. So don't, when you're doing a project and you are trying to aim at perfection, the project never gets done. And so it would be better just to make it good. Right. Right. I know you, you used to have that problem. 
bit more so with your chapter one. Oh, right. Over I was a chapter one rewriter. Yeah. You're yep. letting the perfect get in the way of the good, where yep. probably be best just move on right when yeah. it's acceptable <laughs> i needed to hear that big time because uh, would you say name any series oh, uh, oh, harry potter harry the, potter yeah. is the most popular most top-selling novel series of all time at least fantasy by far yeah and harry potter is just an element of it's your ac- academia yeah. with wizards and it's your it's your typical like it has probably inspirations from narnia I'd assume, or just, it's your, it's your fantasy. You've seen the same kind of tropes and you've seen the same kind of things. And she adds a bit of a new element to it and just runs with it because she was a good writer and made a good story with anything with red rising is take hunger games and add another little, I don't know, add an element of Ender's game a little, little bit later on and boom, red rising. Yeah. I mean, wheel of time is effectively Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings. Plus you add, gender dynamics into it and politicking the ideas aren't crazy yeah no i mean but but thing is it's that initial idea isn't crazy but as you get going it starts to get more complex and more you get all the details later on like they they find themselves later yes and the initial idea itself is not that complex their exceptions don't disprove the rule but one exception i think is pure nessie that we read that idea is just that's mind-blowing yeah, it's a great it's, idea. It's just great, right out of the gate. Yeah. Like, great idea, great execution, and there's not a lot of room for discovery along the way. It just had to, had to be good from the start. Yeah. Now, advice number three. This is the last of the general advice, and we'll get into more specific advice. This one is uh, Charles Dickens says, basically, get a life. <laughs> Charles Dickens says uh, yeah. he, he was writing this to a, some German novelist named Sophie Varenna, and this was what he said to her. He said... You must remember that in all your literary aspiration, and whether thinking or writing, it is indispensably necessary to relieve that wear and tear of the mind by some other exertion that may be wholesomely set against it. Habitually, I have always had, besides great bodily exercise, some mental pursuit of a light kind with which to vary my labors as an author. And I have found the result so salutary that I strongly commend it to be the fair friend in whom I am deeply interested." Isn't he so elegant with that? Like, I, I yeah. couldn't even, I hardly could read that. Basically, in uh, 2023's words, touch grass. Touch grass. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Charles Dickens says, touch grass. Yeah. Well, I think even further to his point of why it reaped rewards for his writing mm-hmm. is when you, are, when you are writing, you inevitably are bringing in parts of your own life. If you have not lived a life, how the hell are you going to write about anything? You yeah. don't know anything. Maybe you know technical skills. Maybe you know sentence structure. Wasn't but... Terry Pratchett a reporter or something like that? And yeah. so a lot of his books are inspired by the, the people he's just seen. Yeah. And went from there. The people that have lived the best lives have the most potential to write the best stories. Because they have great stories of their own yeah. as well. You look at um, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, and one of the lines in there that he talks about is he's very thankful that he is not that he doesn't consider himself a philosopher. Yeah. He is not and how he puts it is he's a student of philosophy, but he uses it in a more practical manner. He is very happy and fortunate that he's not constantly sitting there thinking and philosophizing and always thinking about the actions mm. rather than actually doing it. Where he puts his theory and just he doesn't think about the theory much anymore. He just acts and practices and it 
leaves so much anxiety behind. Right. And I think to his point, it's, you know, philosophy without practice is pointless. And so it's important to actually do something with what you're, what you know. So he was, he was a student of it, but he wasn't the teacher. Yeah. In that regard. And he just knew, he talked to himself for, in his writings, he said, yeah, I do not have the temperament to be a philosopher. I, it, it bothered him of thinking about stuff that had no real purpose. Mm-hmm. And it actually didn't change anyone's lives. It didn't do anything. You and Marcus, really, you have a lot in common. I mean, you are very much bald. a student of mine. <laughs> oh, a bald, oh, damn, I could have went with the bald joke. But I don't I, even know if he's bald. I thought that's where you're going with it. I, I, I tried to cut it off at the pass. <laughs> you've, been, you've been primed <laughs> for all those jokes. I was going a different route, but we'll stick with that. Okay. <laughs> he's bald at some point. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's been in the ground for a lot. He's bald by this point. Oh, that's sad. Everyone's bald eventually. Yeah. Hmm. Well, actually, no, I think hair does stick around for quite a long time. Oh, we were at the uh, the museum where that like 10,000-year-old mummy, remember, still had hair? I don't remember that. Okay. All right, next one. We're going over plot advice now. This is advice. Hmm. This is the fourth piece of advice, and these next two will be on the plot. Now, this is great. If if you haven't heard a clip like this, this advice is that... Okay, I won't, I won't even paraphrase it. I'll just say all bad plots have this in common. Okay, and okay. this is the South Park creators. So you already know where this is going. The South Park creators say this is the number one thing that's allowed them to create good plots in okay. South Park. Here's what they have to say. We've found out this really simple rule that maybe you guys have all heard before, but it took us a long time to learn it. But we can take these beats, which are basically the beats of your outline, and if the words and then belong between those beats, you're f***ed, basically. You got, you got something pretty boring. What should happen between every beat that you've written down is either the word therefore or but, right? So, so what I'm saying is that you come up with an idea and it's like, okay, this happens, right? And then this happens. No, 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 it should be this happens and therefore this happens. But this happens, therefore this happens. And that, as soon as we are able to, and literally sometimes we'll, we'll write it out to make sure we're doing it, uh, we'll, we'll have our beats and we'll say, okay, this happened, but then this happens and that affects this and that does to that. And uh-huh. that's why you get a show that feels like, okay, this to that, to this, to that, but this, here's the complication to that. And there's so many scripts we read from new writers and, and, and things that we see. God, I see movies. And, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you see movies that you're just watching. And it's like this happened and then this happens and then this happens. That's when you're in a movie just going, what the f- am I watching this movie yeah. for? And just <laughs> yeah. like... Palpatine somehow returned. Somehow. Oh, God. Somehow Palpatine returned. Every bad <laughs> plot anywhere is just if you can fill in, oh, th- this, then this, then this, then this, then this is a boring, horribly written plot. That's most Hollywood movies at this point. Honestly, that kind of sums up why I'm bored with most most movies we've seen so far. Oh, I expected you to go on with a rant about Star Wars. Or... Oh, no, it's <laughs> just, just it's in general. just all of them. Where I'm even thinking of something like Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick was, was good, was and it's movie. simple. Yeah. Like, it's not like it was super complex or anything, but think about like one of the key moments in the story is mm-hmm. it's all there for. Like, why is, why, is, uh, why is he called in? Because he's the best. And then, therefore, he teaches a class. Class is not as, like, they're good, but not as good as Maverick. Therefore, he does the mission. And, you know, he does the mission, and it fails. Therefore, someone has to help him, the one he trained. Like, 
it is like follows well, the like, complications of, but what happens is get shot down and then yeah, yeah exactly it follows that exactly it's not a bunch of this 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 and that's when 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 you're reading your own plot and going over hey am i writing a good story is this a good story and it's just a bunch of sequence of events happening yeah it's like usually a good sign that okay you gotta well we we read that in neuromancer where that is it seems to be at least an act two of that book that's a lot of it is something happens then this happens then then this then this I've noticed that sometimes in sci-fi, what you have to read is not exactly the plot details, is the plot on the surface is then this, then this, then this, mm. but then by the the end is now confusing, because you go, because it's like, then, 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 therefore. <laughs> ah. And you got, you're caught off guard of like, wait okay. a minute, hold on, <laughs> why did this happen? Right. And then you have to go back and think about it, and you go, okay, yeah, the surface level plot was a bunch of and thens but in the background something was been changing and there's a there's a through line logic of a therefore and then the ending is kind of surprising i'm honestly most cases with sci-fi is i'm too dumb to understand it everyone's too dumb to understand it thanks That's for inc- thanks for fun. making me feel included All yeah right. no no yeah, it, yeah, yeah. completely understand if you if you say like oh i completely understand all sci-fi the first time i read it liar Oh no! Or, or or you haven't touched grass like Rich recommended. Or you haven't touched. It's grass. one of the two. There's no <laughs> betweens. Yeah, I mean, it's just a mental exercise. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's just not very well written. That also the that case. happens. Yeah, but I noticed with specifically Neuromancer, the more I thought about it, the more the more I went. A lot of end ends. Yeah. I, yes, but also the ending is therefore, like, therefore the end. it, it makes sense by the end if I think about it, but it takes a lot of thought. Yeah, we don't like that. No. None of that here. <laughs> Ready for advice number five? I am. Cinco. Cinco uh, de Mayo. I'm trying to think of other like, on a dual set. Toss it. That's in... Toss uh, it. Is that in Heinz Korean? I that I feel... Font. Font. Okay. And then... Uh, un, du, tre, quatre. Cinque. Okay, number five is another piece of plot advice. This is from Brandon Sanderson again. Of course. And this one I've talked about on this pod episode, on this pod before, but I think it's the most critical writing advice ever. All plots need to do this in order to be successful. I will summarize and then get into the more important part of the clip, mm-hmm. but the three Ps, he's made it an alliteration so it's easier to understand, but all stories have a promise, a progress, and a payoff. Universal. No story does not have that I think it's safe to say, unless there's an exception, doesn't disprove the rule kind it, of situation. There's some weird stories out there. I want to see if anyone can comment down below a story that doesn't follow this and has a promise progress plan. I'd be curious. Okay. Let's see, um, there's probably something like a, just a stick figure and it just stands there for ten seconds. Yeah, there there could, there could be something. But this this advice essentially means when your reader goes into a book and they're reading that first chapter or they're, they're starting to get into your tone and so forth, You are the reader's promised something from the author. The author says, this is the kind of thing that I'm promising you. And all stories typically fail if they, the promise that the reader expects is then not paid off and what their expectations were. Now, it doesn't mean it's a bad story. It means that that reader could have subjectively just read into this going, I mean, most of the things I'm disappointed with, example for you, Red Rising, book yeah. one. You read the first several chapters of that and were expecting a certain kind of political or, or space 
sense. A, a little and, bit of a space opera it, yeah. and drama. And this is no spoiler, really. It just it, it turned into more of a Hunger Games, which was like, oh, I didn't expect this. It was still fine. Yeah. But since it didn't meet the, the promise you thought it promised, mm-hmm. you didn't like it as much. Whereas you told me going into Red Rising that, hey, this is more of this kind of story. So I was going in with my expectations being set. The promise of the book was this. And yeah. it paid off with this. So getting into this is exactly what Sanderson, I'll play the clip right now, and he gets specific. This is what the promises are in a book and what you could set. So here you go, Sanderson. So when plot is going wrong, I think it is usually, at least for me, not understanding these three things. People go into a story um, giving you a certain benefit of the doubt. If they weren't giving it to you, they would not be opening your story. They wouldn't pick that book up and read it. Some of them might be tougher audiences and tougher sells than others, but every one of them has opened that book and started reading. They are offering you something. They're extending their hand to you. In return, what they are wanting you to do is quickly give them some promises about what type of story this is and why it's going to be enjoyable. All right. It's basically what I said. He's Those copying me. Promises at this point. Yeah, of course. Several <laughs> forms. Um, and they work in different ways. One of the promises you're going to give them is a tone promise. Um, another promise is generally going to be a genre prom- promise. Um, and usually your packaging of your story has already made this promise. Um, but it's important to recognize genre is one of these things you are promising yep. them. You're going to uh, give them a promise about the plot. Specifically, the type of progress that's going to come in this story. Uh, this is the promise of this, what is going to make you turn the page. And you're usually going to be making some promises about character. So those are the four things. And he goes on with some other... I mean, honestly, after watching this entire pod episode, you should all go watch all of Brandon Sanderson's lecture series if you really want to get into writing or art inspiring writer. Mm-hmm. They're phenomenal. He has all of his lecture series that he teaches at BYU all posted on YouTube. So with the promises he's saying there, tone, genre, plot, characters, you get a certain promise, and tone especially, genre especially, going in and, okay, is this more dark, grim, lighthearted, comedic? You can tell with all the best books immediately when you start a Terry Pratchett novel, yeah. I'm going to have a fun time. <laughs> I'm going to sit back and laugh. You, then you have Red Rising. You yeah. start off with On Mars. Oh! On Mars, uh, the gravity is not enough for that head to snap or to snap the neck they, they let, let their the, loved ones do they it. let the loved ones yeah. do it yeah i, I was gonna say you Genre butchered that a little bit but i couldn't have done it either i i'm bad with quotes here like yeah. you can uh you can just pop in uh a kyle. voiceover you can pop in kyle's voice right okay <laughs> over me okay you know? like there we go i'll do that instead <laughs> Not gonna do that. You never do my editing. No, I don't. I always ask for editing things and you never do it. All right, I'm gonna do this instead. On Mars, there's not much gravity, so you have to pull the feet to break the neck. They let the loved ones do it. I don't know what I did, but we'll see in post. Eh, All right, (laughs) so go on with that. Yeah, oh no, it there's so many examples of that. I would say there are plenty of good stories out there that miss the mark on that. And that's probably why, because mm. there's plenty of series out there where maybe the first book is kind of hard to get into, and you just don't see the promise, and it's very—it's not really clear. I would say Wheel of Time probably does that really well, where I don't think the first book really sells you on what the tone and promise is. What? 
Yeah. You're peeing. That's your baby. Yeah. Okay. Look, Wheel of Time is my favorite thing. Yeah. However, it has flaws. I can be critical. Like, it has plenty of flaws, plenty of critiques. You're yet poor- I'm still saying it's my favorite. <laughs> your thing. poor future child. Like, I love my child. He's the best child ever. But he's a dick. And yeah, exactly. he, he really, ages 13 to 27, we're not good for him. <laughs> yes. But you know what? That's, a, that's called a character journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, I would say there's, there's plenty of moments in the later books which mm-hmm. gives you far better indication of what the tone and okay. the genre and what the plot's really going to Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. To be mm. where the first book very much isn't. Right. Mm. Okay. I think you're even noticing with the third book, like very different tonal change. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. So. So yeah, most most stories fail when that promise is not paid off correctly or and, made clear or made clear mm-hmm. for sure. And that is. That is the end of our plot section, but now advice number six, this is where we're getting into prose. Okay. And this is something that we, I do in our writing group, but okay, so tip number six is you know your writing's boring, or, or if you want to know if your writing is boring, sound it out. Now, this advice is from some authors I haven't heard of, but this, several authors, Jim Harrison, George Saunders, and Jesse Bell. I haven't heard of those authors, but they were they were saying that instead of focusing just on the plot, right? Instead of thinking, is my story boring? Like what's happening? And you think of your you think of your writing as in this this sequence, and then this sequence, and then this sequence. I shouldn't say and then a good story should be therefore this sequence, but this mm-hmm. sequence therefore. I, I see. I stumbled right into it. There you go. I learned from previously. So instead of thinking what is happening in my story, sit there, look at what you wrote, and sound it out loud. So read your story out loud to yourself. And that will indicate to you where the energy is. Now, this is, this is the specific quote. So George Saunders says, in many drafts, when he can no longer see the work with fresh eyes, um, oh, sorry, this was Jesse Bell. When he can no longer look at it with fresh eyes, he will say sound gives us clues to what's necessary and real. So when you read your own work out loud, there are parts you might skip over. Like if you're kind of skipping over a part, it's not that exciting. You're like, okay, there's probably something here that's wrong. Mm. And so you'll find yourself wanting to speak them and the, on the stronger parts, you'll be into it and going like saying each word and having more diction and more clarity and be, you'll be more excited and invested in it. That's how you can tell yourself, okay, there's something here or there's something here that's wrong. What do you think of that advice? It makes sense because if you're skipping over something, so often if you're reading something and you're skipping over something, the reason in your head is like, I already know that moving yeah. on. Yeah. But in making your own writing, there should never be that type of moment. Like, I already know this. I'm just going to move on. Mm -hmm. Something that I've heard a lot with people who read Tolkien and one of our friends who reads Stormlight Archive is there were sections that he just skipped over, like completely. The interludes mainly. And I mostly blame that on the reader. Like, that's their fault. But... (laughs) That is certainly something of you shouldn't have that feeling. And if you are, maybe it's the wrong story for that person. Mm. So now 
that's someone taking someone else's work and and reading it and there not every book is for every person so maybe that story doesn't need to be changed however if you're the one writing the story and you're skipping over it <laughs> oh, imagine what the reader's gonna do the book needs to at least appeal to you yeah every part should at least be important and exciting to you the writer if you if you the writer aren't that interested what is the reader supposed to feel yeah, so you're reading out loud going, this guy's, wait, that guy's me. Yeah. <laughs> like you're complaining. So yeah, I, I think that's good advice, especially for the fresh eyes point. If you're writing your story and you're reading it in your head over and over again, sometimes it's hard to find the flaws in it unless you get another, of course, writing groups are very important. You get another fresh set of eyes. Well, it's the, the important thing with an editor. Yeah, uh, exactly. We're talking about how at the end of the Wheel of Time uh, books like I think the Great Hunt had a little interview with Robert Jordan himself. Yep, he talked about how important his editor and eventual wife mm. uh, was to his own writing process. Is in his head he knows what he's talking about. He knows exactly where the character's supposed to go. He yep. thinks this is being interpreted correctly and people understand. Then his wife picks up, reads it, and goes, "Yeah, that ain't clear at all. What's going on? What the hell's going on here? Divorce? I don't, she, oh, wait, <laughs> I don't think she said that. But. No." <laughs> No, they were very loving couples. Yes, yes. But Harriet, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's important to have that perspective. So reading it out loud to yourself, maybe you can see it a little better. Now, mm. the best solution is still to have someone else read it and see if they understand what you were thinking. But if you have someone like Rich as a friend who would never read your own work and you only have yourself, this is great advice for someone like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, why would I waste my time reading your book? <laughs> Next piece of advice. <laughs> this one is also on pros. This is tip number seven. And here's why your prose sucks. Okay? I could use this advice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is, again, from Brandon Sanderson. This is our... Okay, there's one more Brandon Sanderson after this, but this is our of second course. to last from Sanderson. This is the... I will preface this because he has a whole lecture on this where he goes like 10 minutes into this in detail. I will play mm -hmm. the clip toward the end where he says the more important aspect, but I will do my best to explain and preface this video coming in. Okay. I do want to say that article that was came out several months ago where they said Brandon Sanderson is your God. Yeah. It's people like us where I kind of get it. Oh yeah. Totally. I understand why oh, that, that's yeah. the headline. Like we, we were upset. Obsessive that over Sanderson though, but I get it. I, yeah. there's a reason they wrote that article. There's a nugget of truth there. Yeah. His name was what Jason Jason's. Uh, I don't remember. The name. I, his name does not deserve to be remembered. Oh, Oh, wow, that's even meaner. That's, that's worse. <laughs> but yeah, I do I do praise Sanderson like all the time. Yeah. So this is why your prose sucks, okay? Good. I, I, it's just, I have to have a hot topic headline to start <laughs> this with. This is actually the best prose advice I think I, I've, uh, I've read or seen online is the concrete versus the abstract. I went over this with you in the past, like off camera and whatnot, but this, mm -hmm. this whole concept, and to get into more detail, is... Think of prose as a pyramid, where on the very top you have your abstract, and on the very bottom you have your concrete. Now, what do I mean? What does Sanderson mean? And by the way, Sanderson said this was the, one of the best pieces of advice he got, not from a teacher, but from a fellow student in a class in his grad program. He mm. told him this, which is very neat. So what, what do I mean by abstract? What does he mean by concrete? Abstracts are words that when I say dog, for example... That's a more abstract word because when I say dog, Rich, you're thinking of a dog. I'm thinking of a dog. The viewer, Dave, is thinking of a different dog. 
we could have hey, I, Dave. hey Dave again. So we could be ha- be thinking. I could be thinking of a Yorkshire Terrier. You could be thinking of Maltese. They could be thinking of a Golden Retriever. It's more when you just say dog. We're not grounded in what that is. Mm-hmm. When you say the word love, like love for what? A friendly love, a romantic love. Like I love this cupcake. Like what? What are you loving about? It's a very abstract word. Mm-hmm. Now to ground the reader more into concrete language, and the example that Sanderson uses in, le- in his lecture is: imagine you described a dog as uh, a white-furred, whimpering dog, bloodied on the side of the road after getting ran over by a car. We all kind of have the same image of that dog, and that yeah. brings you more concrete. Now he says, I'll preface this right before he gets into why why going down the scale is good and bad. So going from abstract to concrete, if he's not your entire novel should not be concrete because that would be a lot of words. And now I'll I'll say that this is Sanderson's advice on when to go into the concrete and what Mm -hmm. makes good prose. Now there's a lesson to be learned here, however. Down is not always better. As in more concrete. We talk Mm -hmm. about in writing this, uh, this, this phrase called show don't tell, right? And it's become a mantra. It's this thing, it's like, you know, anytime anything's wrong in a story, people be like, well, you didn't show enough. You told too much. And they're often right. But show versus tell is not something to hold up as like the absolute gold standard because almost always showing more and pulling down on the pyramid straption requires what? More words. More words. And so the more words you spend the more concrete you can generally make things. Now, if you understand this model well, what you're going to do is you're going to learn how to use those more words to pull yourself down rather than just using words that are meaningless. And you will find if you actually look at your writing, you will be using a lot of meaningless words. You'll be doing a couple of things. I do this a lot um, in my first drafts. You will be doing what we call a tell then show. This is where your paragraph starts with like a line kind of explaining um, that, you know, he was a really nervous person. And then your next line is, he sat at the table tapping his pen against it um, and moving his foot like this. That is what we call a tell then show. The show is enough. You don't need to have a thesis sentence in your paragraph telling us what you're going to then show us. But we do it a lot because as writers, we're trying to organize our thoughts. And then we go on to the show. You will find these all the time still in published books where the author didn't catch that one and delete it out. You want to learn to delete those out. Um, I have a lot of, the, uh, a word that comes up that is uh, very controversial in this is the word suddenly or abruptly. Um, a lot of writers will say, just don't use that. Just make it abrupt or sudden, the thing that's happening. Um, I still tend, tend to prefer using the suddenly because it becomes a marker um, very well to the, to, the, to the reader. But this is why we say get rid of the passive voice. Get rid of too many adverbs. Get rid of too many um, descriptors that don't actually pull you down on the pyramid of abstraction. And you'll find you're doing this a lot. You're using a lot of varies. You know, he was very mad instead of saying he was irate. Irate is further down than very mad. But very mad uses more words. Anytime you can go down by using fewer words, you're almost always wanting to make that change. That's the most important piece of advice there. And basically, anytime you can go down from abstract to concrete with using fewer words, that is better writing. It's why I say Terry Pratchett is the best writer. Yeah. He does this perfectly, right? Perfect. Yeah. That, no, that is exactly it. Like, look at these books. Oh. Like, 
That, Eric, 20 is a whole book. Look how thin this is. It's effectively a novella. And yet every word's essential. It's incredibly descriptive. It is perfect in that way. He uses the most concrete words he can, pulls down from abstract to concrete, yeah. and keeps you grounded that way. To be fair, that's also why... Um, uh, God, I'm trying to remember his name. Name of the Wind guy. Patrick Ruffus? Yeah. That's why Patrick Ruffus You said his name writer. this episode. I know. I'm not good with names. This I, is a, I this, forget your name sometimes. This is a problem. I know. My brain is a sieve when it comes to names and dates. But Patrick Ruffus does this exactly. Yeah. He uses the perfect words to describe a scene. Now, it, he, it, they're a, it's a little bit thick of a book. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, he does do this. He doesn't use very many varies i'd say when we're rating our prose and dialogue when, when we come to that this is a, an important standard that makes good dialogue that makes good writing yeah and now we're getting into my favorite pieces of advice okay character advice mm. so this is number eight on the scale remember we actually have three more pieces of advice because you're giving us the 10th one richard oh okay so you better start thinking i, I gotta think of it you gotta think you're, you're, i'm giving you're you time. something on me okay yeah yeah but I'm, I'm not just pulling it out of nowhere. I'm giving you a couple more tips so you can ruminate on what okay. to say. So this is advice number eight. This is the last one from Sanderson. Mm-hmm. This is how to write a compelling character is very simply this. He says, stop using character archetypes and start using character motivations. And sounds very general, but look at this specific example that kind of really helps explain how Sanderson's able to create incredible characters, right? Man, he took my piece of advice. That, that, <laughs> that was going to be mine. <laughs> that was, damn it. And then Darn it. tip number nine was going to be yours as well. I, I know. <laughs> so this is what Sanderson said. So when he was asked, how can he create so many characters and yet each of them feels three-dimensional and fully realized, Sanderson admitted that he struggled early on in his works with this kind of depth. But what he learned in the process of writing these early novels is stop writing people to an archetype and start writing them to a motivation. So for instance, very simple example to think when you're creating characters, instead of saying this character is the wise mentor, therefore he will do wise mentor things. You know, if you just kind of place and think Gandalf, like, okay, wise mentor, he's the wise mentor archetype. Mm -hmm. Instead, he would just give them a simple pinpoint and a backstory, even if it's a side character, just do something simple like this. This character lost their previous protege. They delved too far, and their previous protege mimicked them and got themselves killed. And so they are extra hesitant now to do that ever again. That's the difference between saying, pick the wise mentor or give them one thing in their backstory, no matter how simple or complex it could be. So instead of saying wise mentor, say their previous protege died because of them and they pushed them too much. Instantly becomes more of a character. And so he started to ask himself, Sanderson asked himself, if the character wasn't involved in the plot... What would they be doing? What would their life be like? And ask yourself the things they want most, they fear most, and so forth, and what drives your character. Um, so, yes, it's good to have, of course, as we read in Save the Cat, you have your character's flaws, wants, and needs. But having a pinpointed thing that happened in her life could really influence the way you think about the character. What do you think about that, Rich? That's, it seems like a good advice. I, mean, I do like the advice of, from Save the Cat of yeah. a character should have wants and then needs. And then ultimately the end of the character journey is it solving its need. And normally that's not what it wants. Right. Right. So th- that makes a lot of sense. But to actually even carry th- the character through the story, yeah. having a pinpoint example of 
a moment in their life is right. probably a good idea. And even instead of just saying, you know, my, my character, like, I want money. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying just, I want money, maybe it's when I was eight years old, my parents got divorced. And my dad, because of, they were financially unstable, and my dad, after the divorce, got into depression and committed suicide in the middle of the road. And I saw his bloodied corpse spray across windshield wipers everywhere. And then when I got home, my mother, who was at a whorehouse just to put food on the table, was telling me, get your ass to school. Why are you here? And I'm telling her, daddy died. What do you mean, mom? As several men are walking in and out of the house. And I'm crying tears going, mom, what do I do? What do I do, mom? I'm, I'm so impressed how you're able to open up on the internet <laughs> about your life. Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry. <laughs> they're, they're great. I have great parents. <laughs> but that, instead of saying I want money, no, that's why I want to be financially stable. Yeah. Like you have a backstory to explain the character's motivations. Mm-hmm. That's sorry. good advice. Sorry, Mom and Dad. <laughs> okay. The very last, uh, do you want to add me, anything to your, that? Your mom and dad can't hear you. They don't watch my stuff. They no, don't watch this. Your dad's dead. He was at the side of the road. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. You were being honest. That's so brutal. Yeah. And ironically, my dad's name's Dave. So every time we talk to... Hey, Dave. To, oh, my God. Now it's even more strange. Yeah. It's like we're talking to... Oh, okay. My dad's great. He's, he's still around. He's... I was wondering, why'd you look up? I was going with a joke, Richard. <laughs> no, no. I meant like... Yeah. That's where you think you went? Oh, you bastard. <laughs> You know what? You're lucky. I know your dad too well. I can't make those jokes with you. And your mother. It's, it's strange to be easy. Mm, damn you. Okay. This is the last, second to last piece of advice. Wait for Richard's advice, of course. Mm-hmm. This ninth piece of advice is how to write compelling characters from M.L. Wang. Mm-hmm. M.L. Wang wrote Sword of Kagan. And since our Sword of Kagan episode, by the way, I've upped my rating of that book tremendously. The characters are nearly a 10. I, I can't stop thinking about those characters. They've impacted me in several ways. So, of course, when we're looking for advice from characters, I had to go to Emma Wang for this. And she, like Sanderson, likes using alliteration. She said, follow the three Ds, okay? The three Ds is how she writes a compelling character, and she builds a character from the inside out. And those are the day at work, the detractor, and the dragon. That's the three Ds. Now, what do each of those mean? The day at work test that she does with her characters is take your character through a day of doing what they do best be it baking espionage party planning conflict moderation arson sports whatever what is their process how do they feel about what they're doing do they take pride in it shame satisfaction walk through it with them and figure it out take a day day at the office with them secondly the detractor the detractor is drop your character into an argument with someone who questions their views or way of life and by the way, this would be great with Rich. Rich always does that with me. So the detractors, put the character with Richard. <laughs> That's Emma Wang's advice. So this is for maximum effectiveness. The detractor must be your character's intellectual equal. Okay, in that case, no, because you're inferior. But Or superior. Oh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> so no easily dismantled straw men are allowed. This is the quickest way to figure out not only the finer points of your character's ideology, but also how they deal with that conflict. How secure are they in their views? How willing are they to defer to authority? Are they aggressive in an argument? Calm, snide, do they project? Are they quick to question themselves? Willing to question themselves at all? How articulate are they? Do they stay that articulate when they're frustrated? So you can find out a lot about a person when you get into an argument with them. Mm-hmm. It's great. And the last one is the dragon. And by dragon here, she means this monstrous antagonistic force that might appear in any story. 
That's what she means by dragon. So put your character in this high stress, high stakes situation, dangle them off a cliff, dump them off, the, uh, have them be dumped the day before prom, drop a car on their family and let them deal with it. This scenario can be lifted from a potential climax of your story or somewhere else like the Titanic, the Hunger Games or a sitcom, whatever kind of pressure feels relevant to the questions you're trying to answer about the character. And what Emma Wayne does is she usually attempts to plan action climaxes early in the character development process so she can figure out where their holes are. So Emma Wayne goes really specific into this where she looks, what, what's my character like in a casual day of work? What are they like in an argument? And what are they like in a high stressful situation? And if you put them in those three scenarios, that does encompass a lot of a person and a personality. And then you I can backfill all the, all the times in between. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think, Joe Abercrombie, I think, does that perfectly. Does because I think each character in the First Law series you see the first chapter is basically a day in their life. You get that. As moment. most first chapters are, right? As most yeah. first chapters are. But then kind of really quickly on, you're then given each one of them have to go through an argument. Uh. Each of them are confronted with someone and have an actual argument with someone about their ideology. And then pretty later on, they Quite all have back. that dragon moment. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he does that exceptionally well. I think that's great advice. And I think the best advice of all is advice number 10 coming from you, Richard. What did you come up with? What is your advice to fellow well, writers out there? If you were listening oh, in, yeah. during this lesson, I actually already gave the advice. What's the advice, Rich? I, I, I snuck it in there. <laughs> Comment down below if you think you already know what advice I gave. A little Easter egg slipped it in there. Okay. What do you think? Because I did already say it. You did? Yep. While we were talking. Not to read my book. <laughs> my dad's dead, but he's not. Well, like, well, you said a lot of things this episode, Rich. Don't let the perfect be in the way of the good. Oh, uh, okay. You did say that. Ultimately, yeah. it's better to just keep going yeah. with something. If, if it isn't working for you, that's fine. You don't feel like the need to write the perfect novel. And Sanderson is probably the best example. He wrote what, 16 books or 12? 12 or 16 books before he ever got published. I think it was 13, and Elantris was his first published. I think it was like the sixth or seventh he wrote. Yeah. But, but he, I mean, he, he wrote he'd already the, written 13 novels. Yeah, exactly. That's I got picked up. So don't let perfect be, yeah, get in the way of the good. Precisely. And that, honestly, that applies to, I think, probably good life advice in general. Most of these are just good life advice. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to be a better person, just face a dragon. Face yep. an argument, face a day in the life. Well, you, I mean, in all honesty, you become more clear about your own opinions when you have an argument about them. Yeah. That's why I enjoy arguing with people, even if, like, I'm not sure if I'm right. Like, I, I just like taking contrary opinions, even and if I'm not. figuring out. Well, you, because yeah. you always learn something. If exactly. You, if you kind of nod your head the whole time, you'll find out a lot less. Especially if I, like, if I'm in an argument with someone and I start being swayed to their side, like, I, I'm starting to agree with them. Mm -hmm. I won't just nod along and say, yes, I will start fighting for my side a little harder. <laughs> the reason it, like, I have a purpose behind it is I'm starting to get swayed. I want to really test it. I want to see how, like, if I'm going to jump to this side, I want to make sure that they're really right. And so I'll push a little harder. And if, if pushing harder gets it to fail, then... Then okay, then I've then I'm correct. That's in staying why my you opinion. push so hard against me. <laughs> it makes sense now. 
this but is why is, you hate my guts. If it if it goes through that and I'm still yeah. convinced, then look at that. I can change my mind. Yeah. Interesting way of looking at it. And then of oh, course right. the no no man is truly truly knows what he thinks unless they're tested. The dragon. You, everyone says, Oh, if I got into that fight, I would if someone had tried to attack me, I'd fight him off. You don't know. You have no idea what you would do unless you're actually tested. Yeah, you could say it as long as you want, like, oh, I totally. All the people do that this. say, like, oh, if someone broke into my house, I, I would, uh, you know, I could attack the uh, robber and I would, I would face them. All, all the stuff. You have no idea. Maybe you would, but in all honesty, until it happens, you'll never really know. I think we were talking about the difference between a belief and a conviction. Yes, a belief is something that you think it's about. It's untested. Yourself. It's an untested conviction, and a conviction is something that is, it has seen the test. Right, for example, a belief in God, right? Yeah. You could say you believe in God, but then until a family member of yours dies, what, what is your reaction? Like mm-hmm. You are now tested to go, do you still believe? Are, are you still praying? Are you still facing and knowing that this life? It, basically, being I mean, tested the, in your religious story convictions. Yeah. The story of Job is God you, constantly yeah. testing. Abraham. Killing your kid. Well, you can be, you can have this belief, but I'm testing you now. Like, would you kill your child for God? They are (laughs) convicted. They are convinced. One thing you can't say. They have conviction. Abraham might be a child killer almost, but he has (laughs) conviction. That man stands his ground, goes, I believe. So, yeah. So that's, I think, interesting in writing that it applies the same way. Yeah. You don't know that character until they are tested with their beliefs. And so, it yeah. also makes really fun villain characters and like makes Ooh. them pathetic of when a character that is talk. So it's always fun with like the bully character. They talk all this stuff They're They're really mean. They're aggressive. They, they have all this aggression and they talk a big game. And it's very satisfying is when that bully character is finally faced and mm. runs away and you see their life and their beliefs as a facade. And so that's fun to read. It's cathartic. But then your hero yeah. is tested and comes out the other side, like standing behind it. And that's also very satisfying to read. So a, a good oh. lower villain, like a, you're want, you want them to be, or no, the villain you want to be pathetic must fail in that, like basically fail in their conviction where like a respectable villain, one where you're like, like you really enjoy reading them and they're just as fun as the hero they stand by their convictions a perfect example of that is in red rising no no spoilers it's going to name two characters pliny versus yeah. the jackal perfect and yeah. in book one i'm not going to say the specific scene because i don't want uh, but the scene you love the most about the jackal in book one yeah stuck to his convictions <laughs> yeah it o- made all it, the way through it made him a respectable <laughs> villain and you under you understood him as a person at that point. So the mm-hmm. action made you understand his villainy and know who he truly is when the cards are on the line. His cards are on the line. That's, that's not the analogy. What's the word I was looking for? His life is on the line. The, the cards are on the, the table. The cards are on the table. That's what there I was looking go. for. So, all Combine right. Combine those two together. <laughs> so I think we're about done here. The, that was, the that most important advice. piece of advice was actually the very first one. Touch grass. Touch grass, kids and adults. Most, mostly, actually, our demographics more like twenty three to twenty seven. That's surprising. Goes up to thirty five. I guess it's not surprising because 
most people watch people in their, in their age, age range. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's not surprising. But also, I just think like YouTube in general is the younger audience platform. Yeah, usually, but I mean, it's book space. It's fantasy, but it's adult fantasy. Typically yeah, as well, fair enough. So we could just talk about. I mean, we could keep talking. I, Honestly, I enjoy... we sh- we should just op- do an offshoot channel of a toy a toy unboxing channel. I will just get all the eight year olds. Actually, we do have an unboxing of books that were sent to us coming soon. <laughs> yeah, that, so there we go. Cool. We'll, we'll get the young audience then. Rich, Rich, I enjoy talking. Young do, people you wanna... like unboxing. Yeah, stuff. yeah. You want to keep talking? Is this? Um, I, I don't think that's in my contract. I I will only talk to you the contractual limited agreement. Beyond <laughs> that, no. Okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Da 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 da. <laughs> <laughs>Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.